The Quiet Carriage, the show about books and their authors, with your host, Paul J. Laverty, and sponsored by Castlemaine's signature bookstore, Stoneman's Book Group. Broadcast on 94.9 Main FM and across the nation on the Community Radio Network. All aboard. Welcome to The Quiet Carriage on 94.9 Main FM and Broadcast Australia and the Community Radio Network and sponsored by Stoneman's Bookroom. Today, my guest is Dave Warner, who is promoting his new novel, After the Flood, out now via Fremantle Press. Let me read to you a little bit about the novel. A disturbing, seemingly ritualistic murder on a remote northwest cattle station has Detective Inspector Dan Clement and his broom police officers unnerved and baffled. Other local incidents, the theft of explosives from a mine site, social justice protests at an abattoir, a break-in at an early childhood clinic, they seem mundane by comparison. But as Clement starts to make troubling connections between each crime, he finds himself caught in a terrifying race. In a landmass larger than Western Europe, he must identify and protect an unidentified target before it is blown to bits by an unknown terrorist. And here's a bit about the author. Dave Warner is an author, musician and screenwriter. After the Flood is his 11th adult novel, with previous novels winning the Western Australian Premier's Book Award for Fiction and the Ned Kelly Award for Best Australian Crime Fiction. After the Flood is the third in the Dan Clement series, set in Broome and Australia's North West. Dave first came to national prominence in 1978 with his gold album Mugs Game and his band Dave Warner's From the Suburbs. In 2017, he released his 10th album, When. He has been named a Western Australian state living treasure and has been inducted into the whammy rock and roll of renown. And here is my interview with Dave Warner. Dave Warner, thank you so much for joining me today on The Quiet Carriage. I don't get to do many in-person interviews, so this is a bit of a treat for me. And we're doing this interview here at the, well, it's quite historic, I guess, uh, Gallup House, where I've been residing for part of this year. Have you been uh, around here before? I've not, not been in Gallup House before. Uh, the area, you know, like, Grew up in Perth and went to uni around here. So the general area. UWA? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Plenty of time at Steve's Hotel. um, Yeah. And plenty of friends who lived around around this area. Uh, So, yeah, I've spent um, a good part of my life around here. But even so, I mean, there's little nooks and crannies that, you know, I haven't seen before. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, you were born way out west. Here we are. Uh, And you've written a lot of songs about the suburbs. (laughs) Yeah. Where was your stomping ground? Well, I was I was born and uh, raised around Fremantle and Bicton, which is, um, for those who don't know Perth, it's a southern suburb right on the river, Bicton. And in the days that I grew up there, it was there was a lot of bush around the place. And I was fortunate my dad, who was a butcher, had bought mm. um, a block right on the top of what's uh, Castle Hill. So we had this magnificent view all around. We could see from Rotnest, um, 
uh, out to sea and then all the way up along the river to you know the lights of Perth and stuff. So it was a great place to grow up. And right on the hill with bush all around you, it was really good fun. Wow. Yeah. And you're back here and you're doing a bit of a tour. Is this something you've done before for your books? Yeah, it's it started... Um, it would be 15 years ago now, easily, maybe more, maybe 20-odd years ago. There was uh, a librarian in at Subiaco here in Western Australia, and uh, she approached me. She rang me up, and I think it was just after my first book came out, so which was City of Light, so it must be about 25 years ago. And she said, oh, would you be interested in doing an author talk? And I said, you know, look, um, or something else, or some... You know, she was really... Uh, Susan was her name, and she was really into the idea of a community library and I said well yeah I, I could do a little show so I grabbed my guitarist at the time and worked out a kind of format of um, playing songs just with a guitar and, and a voice and interspersing that with uh, talking about the at that stage the book that I'd written or other little poems or short stories and readings and that's progressed now so I've done this relatively regularly and it's, it's a fantastic for me fantastic format my I bring my guitarist Tony Durant, who played in the original suburbs, was recorded the um, the original demo of Suburban Boy with me in England in 1976. And uh, the great advantage compared with rock bands, the two of you rock up to the place, you carry your, your stuff, and you're in there. And, and all we ask for the libraries to give us is uh, two microphones and a small PA. Yeah. And um, and also, what is is good is because uh, with our as our age increases and advances our audiences don't necessarily want to go and stand in pubs and uh you know loud clubs yeah but they're quite happy to go to a library and sit there and so you know over the course of about 60 to 70 minutes um i do this blend of about seven six or seven songs you know it varies on the night i get a bit of a feel what's going to work and uh, i do a couple of readings usually finishing up to whatever the most recent book is, but uh, and talk about the interplay of things on you know on this tour. It's been primarily books, music, and football. My the three great loves of my life. <laughs> and how many are you doing over here? Uh, in the end, it's a, it's about sixteen library shows, I think. Oh, but, wow. uh, I've yeah. also been fortunate. I did the Kununurra Writers Festival, which was fantastic. Wow, yeah. Um, the Armadale Writers Festival here, which mm-hmm. is a suburban festival, and then. Um, I'll be finishing off with Big Sky and Geraldton. So it's a really packed, um, yeah, packed schedule for almost a full-on month. Fantastic. Yeah. That's great. And huge congratulations on your new novel, After the Flood. It's right here. It's out via Fremantle Press. How many are you up to now, novel-wise? That's, that's the 11th um, adult you know, crime novel that I've done. I did a series of children's books too, and... Um, done some short stories and, you know, lots of screenplay work as well. But, yeah, in terms of the novels, and this is the third in the series of um, a Dan Clement, my character, who's based in the Kimberley. I didn't intend it to be a series initially. It just kind of evolved that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've said a little bit about it. Could you tell us a little bit about it too? Yeah, sure. So um, just a little bit of background was that uh, around about 2006, I'd been reading some Authors who I really liked, as in particular Henning Mankell, the Swedish author and uh, crime author, and uh, James Lee Burke, and um, I re- who was you know, writing about uh, kind of uh, deep South in America, and I really loved the fact that the location in those 
places was the main character almost, and um, in Mankell's case, Sweden and the cold fir forests. So I thought I'd really want to do a book that has that, an Australian book where the location is the prime thing. Um, it took me about eight years to get around to writing it, and I decided that um, the, the best location, the most unique, unique location I'd ever been to was the Kimberley. And even on, on the basis of three short band tours, mm-hmm. the most recent of which was 30 years ago, I decided to set a crime, uh, have a detective uh, based up in in Kimberley, and uh, it's Dan Broom, he works out of, out of uh, it's Dan Clement, he works out of Broom, mm-hmm. and uh, Dan's about 40 years old, and uh, when we first meet him in before it breaks, so he's advanced a little bit here, his marriage is a bit fractured, and he uh, he moves back from Perth uh, to where he grew up in Broome to be with um, his wife trying to patch things up and their daughter. And it's a... Uh, so the it, it's kind of police procedural, mm-hmm. um, but because of the vast distances and the fact that you've only got a small cadre of half a dozen officers, it's not, it's not like a Michael Connolly police procedural... Um, uh, and uh, in in this particular case, we picked Dan up. He's um, his life. He's pretty bored with his life. He hasn't been able to get back with his wife. Uh, and there's a few small crimes going on around the place. Someone's broken into the uh, early childhood clinic, and it looks like initially they think they're after drugs, but then they think maybe they're anti-vaxxers because it looks like they've smashed vaccine things. Somebody set fire to um, the. Uh, cars of the abattoir workers, you know, they, they could be protesters. There's a bit of a brawl going on at the pub with a couple of, you know, basketball teams. And and he's really wondering where he is and wishes for, you know, if only there was a big crime worthy of me. And, uh, of course, you know, be careful what you wish for, Dan, because he does end up with a big crime. Um, a uh, uh, The naked body of a man is found nailed to a road in a distant... Uh, it, distant station, big cattle station, uh, no identification. And, and so that really sets off this process and leads Dan into, um, first of all, trying to establish the identity of the guy and, and what might have been the cause of that. And then without giving too much away over the course of, of the book, he realises that all these minor things uh, that he's been kind of ignoring in, in one sense um, are all part of a much more major story. And there's a bit of a race against the clock for him to um, try and save the day and, you know, his own life and that of his his uh, fellow officers are in jeopardy along the way. Mm-hmm. So you said there was a 30-year gap that you hadn't been to the Kimberley before you started yeah. on Dan Clement. Did you go back there and do some research? No, only um, only a week ago I went to Kununurra for the first time. Yeah. So the only research that I have done is... Uh, Google, speaking to friends, a couple of books um, of uh, that, that were written up there, um, and uh, one by a friend of mine, Peter Burke, who worked as a doctor up there, and um, and so you know I read those for the atmosphere too, and but I, I rang into people, I said, oh you know, do you think I've got this right, or you know what am I missing out on, um, and. Uh, yeah, that was that was it. So no, I hadn't been back yeah. until then because once you're in on the east coast, 
with the <laughs> with the earnings of a writer, yeah. it's not it's not that easy <laughs> to to get up to uh, somewhere like uh, Broome and the Kimberley. You know, that's yeah. that's really for people with far better paying yeah, jobs than exactly. what we do. Um, yeah, so I was I was expecting people to come and say, "Oh, you got this wrong and that yeah. wrong," but you know, so far, yeah, people have been um, you know pretty happy about it. You are listening to The Quiet Carriage on 94.9 Main FM and the Community Radio Network and sponsored by Stowman's Book Room. And now we return to my interview with author and musician Dave Warner. You say some really quite poignant things about the environment here that really stuck out for me. And is it okay if I just read of a course, little, little yeah, excerpt? Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is from page 18. That's, that's what these corporations were, mechanical, relentless, soulless things, each as bad as the other. What did they put back into the world? They stripped dirt, rock, earth, gas, oil. They mixed it up with some alchemy and replaced it with what? Traffic, exhaust fumes, stress, widescreen TVs for teens to play virtual games where they killed each other, leaf blowers, constant noise and glaring light. Scooters delivering unhealthy meals that people had grown too lazy to prepare themselves. And the fumes melted the ice and made the world hotter and places like this drier till only termites could survive. But we put up with it because it gives us a job. And that, that really, for me, that, that nailed it on the head. This awkward relationship WA has with big mining. I mean... I don't know how much it's changed since you grew up here, but everywhere you go here, you see it. It's uh, sporting teams, events, charities. And just yesterday, I was driving down the Sterling Highway from Fremantle, and I saw a billboard up, and it was for the the Nippers Club, like the Young um, Surf Lifesaver Club. And they've been renamed the Woodside Nippers, which is after Woodside, the big mining corporation. So it's really getting kids from an early age. And it's not whitewashing i don't know what the what the sort of term for it would be but it does seem like there's something sinister that lies beneath here and it's somewhat uh inescapable really is this something you you've thought of a lot look i, I i'm not didactic in in the sense that I, I don't think necessarily that big mining or anything else has to be uh like an ogre to mm-hmm. us you know the as you say, it is inescapable because the reality is that Western Australia in particular, like Texas in the US or Alaska, um, you know, is it's a mining state and some parts of South Africa. And in fact, Australia now is really dependent on the north. The whole of Australia is dependent on what happens mm-hmm. with our mining exports. And people in the eastern states kid themselves mm-hmm. um, to think that Australia could... You know, exist and survive. So, as you say, it is this uneasy thing. Um, I mean, that particular uh, passage, of course, is um, that you read out there is by somebody who has been uh, the, that character has been very personally affected uh, in a very tragic way by what's happened with big mining around him. And uh, I wanted to get that kind of that uh, feeling. This book has people prepared to do extreme and violent actions and then I want to investigate why and 
for me, a Dan Clement book, I'd be quite happy to do in a different context. I'd be quite happy to do a kind of spy book with um, terrorists of, you know, the kind of things we normally conjure as terrorists. But it didn't feel, it's not appropriate for Dan Clement book, which is mm-hmm. was kind of, despite the size of the place, it's quite, they're quite small and personal stories. And so uh, I was looking for a personal angle on, on why somebody would be prepared to do this. And, um, and I, you know, I, I thought about these things of the tragedies that exist and how powerless ordinary people are. I mean, particularly people from uh, third world countries, as we would call them, but even Australians, we're really powerless in the face of this machinery around us. And I don't blame, you know, I don't want to lay blame on um, Woodside or BHP or, mm-hmm. the, or the big things. It's all choices that we all make with what we do with our lifestyle. And I guess as you get older too, um, you know, uh, talked about growing up in Victon surrounded by bush. And it is, I know people of my generation look out and it doesn't matter whether you grew up in Liverpool in southwest uh, uh, New South Wales or, or probably Bendigo or wherever, but wherever you look around when you're older and you, you do miss these things, you go, oh, there used to be a great mm-hmm. um, bush there. And of course people have to live and and have to have comfortable places and they need to have work. But at the end of the day, you know, you often go, well, I mean, what's what's the advancement here? When I grew up in the 1950s, you know, classic 1950s society where usually the dads worked and the mums stayed home, but one, one um, income wage could get you a car, a house that you would pay <laughs> off in 15 years, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know everything else that you kind of want so all, all that you needed so we didn't have the fruit yes we didn't we couldn't download things and see every film when it came out you might have to wait three months or six months um you couldn't get lps exactly when you wanted them if you were a teenager but i don't know did that affect our lives that much you know so they're the, the kind of things that i wrestle with often mm. and, you know. yeah yeah and this is your fourth novel on dan clement and I know you... you did the third one on Dan. Your yeah. third one? Yeah. And I know you didn't intend to write a series. So what is it that keeps bringing you back to him? Uh, partly it's the location. I did the first one and I thought, yeah, look, this has the potential to be something because I really like the fact that um, there's kind of half a dozen major characters in this and I like that feeling that there's a small police force doing it. But I've... I've never really wanted to do just a series of things. And usually when I write a book, I get an idea about something. And it might have been an idea that I had ages ago and I've done into a screenplay that never got produced. And I go, no, I still love that idea. I want to do it. So in between the Dan Clement books, I usually do vastly different ideas to the Dan Clement thing. But I do like to come back to that little staple um, investigate Dan. I mean, I'm quite interested in what's happening to him. And I never know till I sit down to write the next book, what Dan might be up to. Um, and I, yeah, I enjoy that. And I just like the fact to, uh, I like writing with flights of fancy. My uh, previous book was uh, set in New York City with uh, Over My Dead Body, with Sherlock mm-hmm. Holmes being defrosted and coming back in a Rip Van Winkle situation. So completely the opposite. Mm-hmm. But, and so I like to go, oh, you know, I want to, I've got to keep that little, that Australian thing going. I want to keep that voice of mine going. But uh, in the meantime, each thing will 
you know, will be different. The, the next book, for example, I'm, um, is called uh, Summer of Blood, and it's mm-hmm. set in the Summer of Love, 1967, and uh, in California primarily. But I take two of my characters from my 19, uh, from 1999 book, Big Bad Blood, which was set in Sydney in 1965, my two cops from there, and I transport them to um, California in the middle of flower power and hippiedom searching for an Australian. Mm. So I've kind of, I'm in that headspace, I'm just finishing that headspace, but I'm already thinking of what the fourth Dan Clement book will be. Yeah, right. And when you are driving along, walking along and ideas come to you, right away do you go, oh, that's a Dan Clement idea or that's another standalone idea? Like, is it is it that instantaneous? Um, the, the standalone ones are really instantaneous. It's mm-hmm. just like, it, it's... Um, it might be a really specific image or, or it might be a specific um, idea like the, 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 uh, the 2019 book that I did, River of Salt, mm-hmm. was um, I went to see my, my guitarist, Martin Cilia, um, is a terrific surf guitarist and he was playing in Manly with a band called The Atlantics, who are a very famous um, surf group of the 1960s, mm-hmm. had a huge worldwide hit with Bombora and... As I walked down the stairs to the club where they were playing and I heard the surf guitar, it just automatically threw up. It was, you know, music can do this, um, you know, just take transports you back. And hearing the surf guitar threw me back to this pre-Beatles era when I was an eight or nine-year-old and I could just vividly recall everything about going to my friend's, uh, parents' friend's place where sunken lounges were groovy and people had uh, aquariums with tropical fish and guys were playing golf. And I immediately, my brain, you know, before I reached the end of the step, I was thinking, oh, this could be a great idea to set something on Coastal Beach in 61, 63. And that's how that one evolved. The Dan Clement ones are generally, I've, I've had, for example, I had an idea that I thought, oh, this would be a really great Dan Clement idea. And I've toyed with that for over a year. Mm-hmm. I can't quite crack it. But in the meantime, another idea came to me um, while I was kind of sort that aspect out. And I, I, uh, I thought, oh, yeah, that could be a Dan Clement case. So that will probably be the fourth one. So it's, um, yeah, there's no rhyme or reason exactly, but sometimes it's instantaneous, you know, and, and other times it's just, oh, that, that's got some potential to maybe be an interesting crime thing that isn't overdone. You know, that's the mm-hmm. other thing. There's so much every second hour there's a, a you know a new crime and every second day there's a new outback noir mm. so you want to try and not um get into the crowded mm. field you know Yeah. 
suburban boy Just a suburban boy Sunday's station on down at the hotel Staring at girls that I don't know Well, I'm just a suburban boy I'm just a suburban boy And I know what it's like To be listening to The Quiet Carriage on 94.9 Main FM and the Community Radio Network and sponsored by Stone Man's Book Room. And there we heard Dave Warner and his song Suburban Boy. And before that, I was in conversation with Dave Warner. And I'll be playing part two of that episode next week. For now, that's all we have time for. I've been your host, Paul J. Laverty. I'm under all the socials under that name. And until next time, keep reading. <laughs>